Hello, welcome to another Orc Labs podcast. Uh, this is Steve, and I have a very special guest with me today. Um, we have Transmonk, the author of uh, many online guides that you may have read. If you haven't, I highly recommend that you do. Um, so, do you mind if I use your your proper name? No, I'd prefer it actually. Oh, okay. All right. So, Chris, yeah. Uh, yeah. welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your experience with Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, how long you've been playing? What editions you have enjoyed, and so on. Okay, um, so I guess my brother got me into Dungeons and Dragons when I was, I guess, eight or nine years old. Uh, like, I guess it'd be about 1980. Okay. Uh, we uh, were playing uh, AD and D originally, and then and then Basic. Um, and we played basic a lot because we were the right age for it. And then uh, we played uh, first edition a lot. Um, and then second, when second edition came out, we started playing that. Uh, but we kind of got into different systems at that point. We we're playing like GURPS and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and then and then we kind of came back to D and D with third edition. Uh, I bought the player's handbook. Really liked it. Um, so brought to the group I was playing with and, and we started playing and we all kind of really liked it. Uh, and then we switched to 3.5 and then, uh, fourth edition came out and, uh, we played it one time. Uh, I actually have, uh, one of the guys I play with, uh, names Jeff. Um, we, we, we had played and we were, we were kind of iffy on it, but he had gone to Gen Con while we were, while we were there and he came back. And he said, I gave away my fourth edition books last there, and if you guys want to play fourth edition, count me up. So <laughs> that, was the end, that was the end of fourth edition. We went to Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, we played Path. We were still playing Pathfinder a little bit, um, but uh, we're, we're kind of going into fifth edition. We all kind of like fifth edition, so we're, we're playing that now for the most part. Okay, very cool. Yeah, I had a similar experience, except I started much later. I got in with 3.5. Um, when fourth edition came out, we... Gave it the same kind of cursory try. Didn't really feel right. Uh, we also transitioned over to Pathfinder, and then this past year we've been trying out Fifth. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think Fifth Edition is uh, a big step forward. Yeah, uh, I, I, do, I do have to say, for uh, credit where credits due, the game is much smoother and the rules are simplified. Um, so you can actually focus more on the action, more on the story, and less on bookkeeping. So. They, they did a lot of good work there. Oh, so, for sure. Yeah, yeah, much simpler. Yeah, absolutely. So recently, uh, I kind of went off the handle um, in an ill-advised rant, uh, bashing wizards, which I don't know what I was thinking. Um, basically, I so let me give you guys a little background. I had been playing a bard in a recent campaign, and to, to conflate bards and wizards is a huge mistake. They do not have the same spell selection, and to try to pretend that one is the other is a huge mistake. We're also playing uh, in a campaign where the DM didn't really understand uh, the inflexibility of playing with CRs. So he threw a CR 10 creature, not even an encounter, CR 10 creature against a party of fifth level adventurers. So I was feeling a little, uh, I don't even know what the word is. It didn't work out too well. My spells felt pretty lackluster. And I somehow decided that that was the fault of Wizards, which is a different class than the one I was playing. I thought because, you know, at Magical Secrets, you get a couple of spells from the Wizard list if you wanted, um, that somehow a Bard was a a proper stand-in for a Wizard. So Chris is here to set me straight. (laughs) (laughs) So go ahead. 
Okay. Well, um, yeah, to uh, just reference the, the that podcast, um, uh, you you had mentioned that uh, there, you I guess the first thing I'd mention is you were talking about locking down monsters uh, as as control. Uh, so the idea that um, you need to, uh, if you cast a hold monster right uh, on the creature and it saves, um, then you, you've kind of wasted your action. Uh, or if it if it succeeds, the next round it gets another save, and and then it could you could still lose. Uh, you, you might lose that spell just for a small effect. Um, so I guess the first thing is I would. I would define controlling uh, from what um, the strategy I recommend for wizards to be quite a different thing than casting, say, a hold monster spell or that kind of spell. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think those kind of spells, they, they have their place, right. but they're very much an all-or-nothing proposition. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think with one of the nice things about the wizard selection for spells is there are a lot of spells there that can uh, give you a tactical advantage and there is no save um, or uh, or targeting lots of creatures and therefore some will fail their save, which is kind of the idea of those kind of spells. I'm not a huge fan of the single target spell where if they save, nothing happens. Uh, I, I think, you know, it's a gamble. And, and one of the things I love about playing Wizards um, is I am not a fan of the die roll. Right. I, you know, I don't like to gamble. I, I just, I like a sure bet. Me right. Too. <laughs> uh, so that, that's for me, the biggest draw of wizards is there's lots of spells on their list that you can uh, cast and it's going to give a tactical advantage to your party. Um, and it might not be a big tactical advantage. Sometimes it's just a nudge, mm-hmm. uh, but there's, there's no saving, no saving throw. You don't have to make a roll. It just happens. Um, And, and for me, that's the draw. And I think that's also, in my opinion, the best strategy uh, for wizards is to do those kind of spells. Um, Whether it's, uh, you know, what I call battlefield control. Mm -hmm. Uh, So for example, uh, I like the fog cloud spell. Uh, And if, if you're facing an enemy archers or an enemy spellcaster, um, you can cast a fog cloud and then they can't see their targets, right? right. And, and that gives you a chance to close in. Um, you cast that fog cloud spell, they don't get a saving throw, right? Mm-hmm. Now that didn't, that didn't shut them down. Uh, you know, when, when your party gets in there, uh, there's still a fight to happen, but you've given that little tactical advantage, that nudge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, or you might, uh, do you know a buff right like whether it's a uh, a haste or or magic weapon or whatever mm-hmm. uh gives that little mechanical advantage sure uh, and and again nobody's making saving throws nope. it just happens yep. um and, and so those are the kind of spells that really draw me in and and they're the spells i tend to recommend and and the strategy i tend to recommend yeah i'm with you there i mean maybe it's because i'm similarly a risk averse person um, I would rather have, you know, a, a plus four than a 50% chance of a plus nine. Even though, statistically speaking, the 50% chance of a plus nine is better, I would rather have the certainty. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
I, I once in a while I'll try playing a non-caster, right? <laughs> and uh, I start rolling that die, and I remember why I never play non-casters. Um, <laughs> and and about a year ago, uh, a friend of mine started a campaign, and he he asked me what character I was going to play, and I was going to try. And this was with Pathfinder, and uh, the, that it, the the play test for the uh, advanced class guide had just come out, and for people who don't know, kind of has some hybrid classes, and we were going to give it a shot. The Magus. Um, what's that? I'm just guessing. The Magus. No, no, I I I went. Uh, this this was uh, after the Magus. Uh, this is, um, uh, but there was there was a class called the Slayer. Uh, that's it's kind of a mix of ranger and rogue. Okay. And and so I said, oh, I'll play a slayer. And my friend kind of took me aside and said, you should play a caster. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna take this class and you're gonna be bored or frustrated with it in a few sessions, and then you're just gonna switch to a caster anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, no, no, no. This I think this one looks pretty interesting. Lots of neat abilities. I think I'll be interested. And so a few sessions later, I remade and made a caster. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So so I don't now I don't even bother even thinking about non-casters. That's all I play now. Yep. And wizard is is kind of my go-to. There you go. So um, the last time we talked, you had uh, you had given me some really fantastic examples, even at very low level, um, of how to use wizard to help you know, control the, the course of a fight. So I had complained that, um, you know, like with the wall spells, for example, the earliest one you can get is fourth level, and that's wall of fire, which barely does the job of a wall. So what do you do if you're low level and you don't have all those great spells? Yeah, okay. Um, so I guess first to frame is uh, you got to select your spells right. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's, uh, I like to talk about the four questions you should always ask yourself before you select your spells. Um, because you can go into, you know, if you look at my guide, I'm going to rate the spells, and some I, I rate highly, and some I rate poorly. Uh, and some people will go in and they'll just take the high-rated spells, and then they go into a combat, and they don't really know what they're doing with them, or those spells are redundant, mm-hmm. um, and, and it doesn't really work out. So you still have to do a little bit of thinking when, yeah. you, know, when, when you do your spell selection. Um, you need to be thinking, okay, so, of course, concentration is a huge mechanic in 5th edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you got to be thinking, what am I going to be concentrating on? Um, also, uh, the way 5th uh, edition works is bonus actions and reactions are also uh, a major portion of the game. Mm-hmm. So you need to be thinking, not just what am I going to be using my actions for, but also what am I going to be using my bonus actions for, what am I going to be using my reactions for? So uh, a good thing to do is when you're doing your spell selections, take a look and, at the mechanics. If if it requires a bonus action to move the effect or do something with the effect, well, you've answered one of your questions. Um, you know, uh, you should also consider some spells that require a reaction, some spells that are regular actions, some that require concentration, some that don't, so that uh, you can consider all these things when you are uh, going into a combat. Uh, you're you're just being efficient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I, I gave an example for third level wizard, and I uh, you know, if you're you might answer those questions. Uh, you'll start the battle with the flaming sphere, 
and that's going to be your concentration spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you might be using your bonus action to move that spear uh, where, where you want it to be. Um, then you might be using your actions after the first round uh, on things like pyrotechnics, uh, which is a spell from the elemental evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and you, con- you uh, can cast it on a place where there's fire, and it creates like a blind effect. Um, so you move the sphere where you want it, cast the pyrotechnics, uh, and then you're doing the damage plus the, con- you know, the, the control aspect, uh, and then save your reaction for, you know, your shield spell. Um, so that's how you want to go about thinking it. Now, the example I gave was a little different. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about using cantrips, um, because uh, one thing you don't have is a lot of spell slots, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you you have to cast cantrips. It's it's got to be part of your mix. Uh, I don't. I I haven't really played a super high level uh, wizard yet, and that might be different. Um, but certainly, yeah, this, if the spells kind of taper off as you get into the higher levels. I mean, you know, yeah. you get more, but you never get the plethora of spells that you got in three five or Pathfinder where you could just get, you know, four base spells and everything, plus your specialist slot, plus your high int bonus, plus, you know, pearls of power, rings of wizardry. You just right. don't have, you know, 50 or 60 spells in a day. And, you know, they've kind of helped uh, make up for that with the addition of ritual spells so that you can get your utility stuff done without wasting your spell slots, as well as the scaling proficiency bonus to the save DC. So your first level spells aren't useless. It's not like only your, your highest four count. Um, but yeah, as you said, there's very many fewer actual spell slots that you have to work with. So you do have okay. to make those. Yeah. So, so, um, we had talked specifically about, um, you know, uh, kind of the standard is your, your flame bolt or your blast kind of spell. And they're not that great. Right. No. Um, so, you know, and I, and I'm not saying you shouldn't use them at all. Um, I use flame bolt sometimes as a wizard, um, but there are other things you can do with cantrips in combat besides just blasting. Uh, so the example, and, and you and I have discussed this example before, but, uh, just to bring up, um, for the, the podcast, um, the example I brought up was if, you know, let's, I, I took a level three example Mm -hmm. and, uh, we, in the example, uh, there was uh, a barbarian, uh, a halfling assassin, and uh, a wizard. Yep. Um, and there might be more party members involved, but these were the the relevant ones. And and the the assassin, halfling assassin, uses uh, a pair of of weapons, so like short swords or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the barbarian is is kind of a the tank, right? He's he's got the big constitution, lots of hit points. Um, he was a hill dwarf too, right? He was a hill dwarf. Uh, it, yeah, he had 38 hit points at level three. Um, good ace, decent AC for the level. Uh, and, and, you know, the idea is he wants to be attacked, right? He can use his reckless attack and, and half that damage too, right? Uh, if he, if he wants to. Right. Um, so, so in the example, uh, we had had him fighting uh, them fighting an Orog, which is a CR2 creature. And this, so this wouldn't be like the big end fight. This would just be in a dungeon and, and you know, the next room. And there's this, this, this Orog, which is like a, 
it's an orc, but like a orc high style orc, right? Um, so this this thing comes. It has an AC of 18, 42 hit points. Attacks twice uh, for D12 plus two damage. Um, so so it's a, it's a pretty good fighting machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so immediately the the halfling assassin um, and who, who we'll call Stabby and uh, the barbarian hill dwarf barbarian who we'll call the Grizzle um, engage this creature. Uh, now battles work different ways. Sometimes they get lucky and that thing goes down right away, mm-hmm. but sometimes they don't. Um, so in this example, we had assumed that it was one of those cases where luck went against the party. So this thing, uh, one initiative and it immediately attacks the halfling. That's the kind of the offensive powerhouse. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the halfling's got 22 hit points. This thing is hitting for D12 plus two, uh, twice, hits twice, and the, the halfling is just about down, right? Um, so now, uh, these, the two party members attack. They do a little bit of damage, but this is going to go at least a couple more rounds. Uh, so as a wizard, your, your job is to prevent Stabby from dying, right? Um, that's that's your job. Uh, you're, you throw a flame bolt, and next round, Stabby's dead. And and so the example I had specifically used was um, how you could use minor image. And minor image is uh, a cantrip that I think every wizard should take. I think it's it's probably the best cantrip in the game. Uh, and, and when I bring this up, like on the forums or whatever. Uh, the response you usually get back from a couple people is that, well, my, my DM doesn't really, uh, play to illusions, right? Uh, you know, so what am I going to do with this, uh, when my DM doesn't have the NPCs react properly to, to, to illusions? But there are things you can do with just the mechanical way that minor image works that it doesn't matter if your DM, uh, thinks that the monsters are going to be fooled by, by an illusion or, or not. Um, so, so in the example, I'd said what you could do is use your minor illusion and put like a box around Stabby. Uh, and now Stabby can't see through this box either. Uh, but you could create a little, you know, little eye holes about his, you know, two feet up. Right. And, and maybe a little, a little, uh, hole in the box where he can stab out of. Uh, so when it, this Orog's turn comes up, there's this box where the halfling used to be. Uh, and the way that minor image works is it doesn't matter whether the Orog believes that this is probably an illusion or not. It makes no difference at all. Um, the uh, Because there's just a list of options as a DM that you have for this work to take. He wants to attack the halfling again so he can drop him, right? Mm -hmm. If he doesn't drop the halfling, if he switches targets now, he loses the fight. Uh, But there's this box there. Now, if he wants to make a saving throw so that he can see through the box, uh, because, you know, the DM doesn't get to say, well, he doesn't believe it's an illusion so he can see through it. It doesn't work that way. That's not the way the rules are set up. 
Uh, he might doubt that it's, it's a real box, but he, that doesn't give him the ability to see through it. In order to see through it, he has to make a saving throw. And uh, that saving throw requires an investigation roll. And that investigation roll requires an action. So if he wants to make a save, he uses his, up his action. Uh, and if he succeeds on that save, you can just cast it again the next round, right? And he's not doing anything. Yep. Uh, so s- making the save is actually a bad option. So his, his other option is to just try to attack through the box. Uh, but he can't see the halfling. And the rules are quite clear on this, and the rabbit um, actually clarified them even more. So he has he just gave himself this advantage, right? Uh, because if you can't see the halfling and you're attacking anyway, then he has disadvantage on those attacks. And you very likely made it so that he won't hit that halfling, and he'll survive the round. Um, furthermore, uh, and I forgot to mention this the first time we talked, if it happened to be a situation where that rogue didn't have advantage before, mm-hmm. you just granted it advantage as well. Oh, nice. Right? Yeah, because uh, if if he can't see the, the halfling, that's attacking from hidden, right? Yep. Uh, same as attacking invisible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that was just one example of how you could use a cantrip uh, to kind of create that tactical advantage, right? Um, and, and you can do that every round. And and if you want to maybe be thematic, you can make it a crate one time. You can make it a bush another time. Whatever you like. Mm-hmm. But but I, I that's that's a tactic I use when I play a wizard, and I've found it really quite effective. Excellent. Yeah, I think last time you also mentioned that you know it, you just ran through an exhaustive list of everything the orog could do, uh, including you know attacking the hill dwarf. In which case, that's exactly what you want. You know, he's targeting the tank. The tank has his shield. Uh, he's got all those hit points, so they just wear him out through attrition. Or if he's really mad at you for casting that box and he charges you, then both the rogue and the uh, hill dwarf get attacks of opportunity, and he's in real trouble. So, it's yeah, really- and you and you can probably take one attack, especially uh, especially if you you know if you need to, you can always use a shield spell, those kind of things mm-hmm. too. Yeah, and then, you know, that might, might even be one of the times where it is appropriate to use a blast. If your hill dwarf and your rogue friend bring him down to almost dead, and then you can just finish him off, then it might be worth doing. Well, if he charges me, um, I'm not doing a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a disengage action. <laughs> That's probably the wiser thing to do. Yeah, uh you know, if something charges you in, in melee, you can probably survive that round, but get out, yeah. right? <laughs> Always get out. And and uh, I should bring up, one of the most common things I get is, um, in, in my 5th edition guide, I, I've recommended against Shocking Grasp. Uh, I don't think it's a good cantrip. Hmm. And I'm constantly told, but when you end up in melee, you can cast your Shocking Grasp, and they lose their reaction. Well, yeah, when you hit them, and then you can, and then you can get out of there. But it's the same thing. Yeah, you, you, I can disengage and I can get out of there a hundred percent, or I can shock and grasp, and if I hit, then I can get out of there. Yeah. Um, and it's not like disengage is is a limited thing. I can do it whenever I want. And and taking that risk for the opportunity to do a little bit of crappy cantrip damage just isn't a good gamble in my opinion. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, and another way you could think about it is. How much damage am I maybe going to do 
with my shock and grasp to this Orog, and how much damage can he do to me? And yeah, yeah. It's a bad that, trade. No, that, don't get in melee with your with your wizard. I mean, <laughs> unless it's built for it, but if you're playing your standard wizard who's going to sit back and, and try to alter the tactics, if you get caught in melee, uh, you know, eventually you should have Misty Step, and that'll get you out of there, but good. Um but otherwise, just a, a disengage. Yeah. This brings to mind um, a description you wrote years ago for uh, Tensor's Transformation, which makes me laugh to this day, which is an absolutely you know devastating debuff that strips a caster of all of his casting ability with no save. Unfortunately, the target is self-only. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it, well, <laughs> and I and when I read that spell for the first time, you know, I. I was just in shock. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> right. And, 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 you know, it, it didn't even turn you into a particularly good fighter, no. right? Like you're still, <laughs> you're still not nearly as good as you should be. If you're going to go into Malay, it just, uh -huh. all you did was just turn yourself into a useless character yep. and you have to cast a spell to do it. I mean, it, <laughs> it's crazy, yeah. but you know, there's, there's these little, these awful spells that are, that are just kind of thrown in there, and that's and that's part of the reason I like to write these guides. Is um, I like to be able to warn people beforehand that you know, hey, if you're thinking about taking this spell, just think about it again, and right. you know, at least go in with your eyes open. If you really want it, go ahead. But mm -hmm. but you know, just a warning. You yep. should probably think about it a little <laughs> bit before you do. It. Yeah. Um. So. That was a really great example of how you can use even a humble cantrip to turn the tide in a fight when your options are limited and when you're trying to conserve resources because you know that that big fight is still to come. Um, but then uh, last time we talked, you also gave an example of how you could have overcome a much more challenging encounter through the clever use of you know, the appropriate spell selection. So I believe this time you had pitted us against the death slab that I had complained so much about. Uh, yeah, yeah, you had... You had, you had Specifically mention that, you know, if, if you're fighting a death slad, mm -hmm. no one cares if you throw a fireball, right? right. And, and, and kind of the, the, the basis of that is you were suggesting that wizards largely were relegated to, to doing damage now. Mm -hmm. Um, so just to, to explain why, why that had been brought up. Uh, so I, I wanted to create an example to show what specifically I would do against the death slad, mm -hmm. right? Um, and we've gone, the Death Slad is a CR 10 creature, yep. and I now know that it was thrown against a fifth level party when, <laughs> when you were playing. Uh, but in the example, I'd used the ninth level party, and honestly, well, yeah, that with a fifth level wizard, I don't, I would just run, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, the misty step, yep. <laughs> get out. But uh, if, if you're fighting a Death Slad, so we've got a level nine party, it's the same party. You got Grizzle, you got Stabby. Mm -hmm. uh, and you got the wizard um, against a CR 10 death slot. And, and I had just kind of gone over the death slot. It's got an AC of 18, 170 hit points. Uh, it um, has a bite attack that does about 17 points of damage on average, uh, or a sword, a sword attack that does 19 points of damage on average, or it can do two claws, uh, which is probably better because it does about 35 points of damage on average. Regenerates. 10 points around, it has magic resistance, uh, resistant to acid, cold, fire, lightning, thunder, um, 
can cast fireball, fly, cloud kill, plane shift. Um, so it's 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 a tough creature. It's a it's a good just, but it's it's mainly meat, right? <laughs> uh, it's one of those creatures that it doesn't have a whole lot of tricks. It's mostly just lots of hit points, lots of damage. It's tough, um, and, and it has magic resistance. Uh, so that's something to consider when you're going into into a fight with it. You may not want to throw a bunch of spells that it's going to get saving throws against. Mm-hmm. Though there are specific strategies that work for that, and I'll get into that. Um, but my recommendation, so in, in the example, we have Grizzle. He's now a ninth level barbarian. Um, he He's uh, at this level. He's got, uh, I worked out, uh, 122 hit points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, he he'll probably... If this is a the big fight, and and usually if you're fighting something that's a higher CR than um, than your party, it's a big fight. Uh, fifth edition works that way. That um, in, if you if you've played previous editions before, you might remember in 3.5, you know you have a level nine party. You take on a level 12, even 13 CR creature uh, as long as you pull out all the stops. Uh, in fifth, that's going to be a lot harder. Um, at least in my experience in the lower levels, that's certainly the case. Um, so ninth level party against 10th level creature, they're going to pull out the stops. So Grizzle's probably going to reckless attack. So he's got effectively 244 hit points. Uh, and, and this, this creature can do about, uh, 50 points around. Uh, so he could take five rounds of straight out attack from this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very strong in the, in the whole tank department. Uh, then you got Stabby. Now Stabby can do way more damage. In yeah. fact, from my, from my uh, calculations, he would be doing, and I should mention that in, in this example, I had made the barbarian, uh, the wolf totem mm-hmm. that is good for granting the advantage, uh, to the person you're fighting with, which works really nicely. If you have, uh, another character like Stabby, who is more, uh, the, really takes advantage of that, right? You you got the sneak attack. Um, so I worked out that Stabby does about 30 points of damage around mm-hmm. uh, against a slad, uh, calculating chance to hit and all that. Okay. Um, so, you know, it would take him, oh, four rounds maybe to take down this creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if this creature was cooperative and just attack Grizzle in the first place, you would win um, just from Stabby alone. But creatures aren't cooperative. They tend to go for the one that looks like it's a little less armored or uh, a little squishier. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Stabby's got 66 hit points at this level. So he can take maybe two rounds, and he's going to get down. Uh, so what I said, what I would probably do as a wizard in this in this situation is I would use a polymorph spell. And, uh, in fact, I'd ask you what you would do, and you said probably polymorph. So you yeah. do <laughs> you were right on on uh, part with me, but uh, yeah, I, I had just done the math, and uh, you know the ultimate form you can do with with polymorph now is T Rex, yep. right? Uh, the T Rex is is the ultimate form you can you can do. It's it's based on the monster manual as it is now, but it's just mechanically the best option, uh, which is good because T Rex, I mean, is awesome. Right. <laughs> no argument here. I love the vi- I love the visual, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, T Rex. 
against this death slide is going to average 51 points of damage around. So you've actually doubled Stabby's damage output, mm-hmm. uh, even after taking sneak attack away, just because there's it does T Rex does 4d 12 plus seven damage, mm-hmm. and then 3d 8 plus seven damage. Uh, you, so you you uh, with plus tens to hit. Um, so so really nice damage output. The other thing is uh, the T Rex has 136 hit points. Uh, so you've more than doubled his hit points too. Um, and and and, uh, and I worked those. it out against the T Rex. The slab is going to average 42 points of damage around. Mm-hmm. So you got four rounds of and and these hit points are aren't. It's not like if he loses all, he dies. You, you know, if he loses them all, he's just he turns back into stabby, right? Yep. Uh, um, so you've got four rounds. Uh, even if the T Rex just concentrates on on the T Rex or the the slad, sorry, concentrates on the on the T Rex. Right. Um, so just by polymorphing the rogue, uh, you've created a situation for the death slad. That's really bad yeah. uh, because he's got this this creature with 244 hit points, right? That he can try attacking uh, for about 50 points of damage round, or he's got this this thing with 130 extra hit points that he can attack, and uh, at the end of the battle, no one will get damaged, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or he can try to to go at the wizard. But now the wizard's got some tricks, right? If if he charges the wizard, well, the wizard is going to misty step out of there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with the wizard can turn invisible. The wizard doesn't have to do anything anymore in the battle. All he's got to do is concentrate on this polymorph. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, all he has to do now is just stay out of the way, right? Yep. If you got stealth, you go hide, whatever. Um, now Grizzle and Stabby can win this fight. And, and there's nothing the slab can really do except run away uh, because they're just doing so much damage. They're going to be doing, uh, between the two of them, uh, about 60 points of damage around. This thing has 170 hit points, and uh, it, it really it can't. It can do about 50 points of damage around, and there's just, if it attacks the T-Rex, fights over before it even ends the polymorph spell. The attacks Grizzle, then the fight was over before it started. Right. Right. Um, so, so that was my recommendation for that particular situation. Um, though I did, uh, and, and it's one spell, right? right. You're casting one spell to, to win that fight. Um, but I, I also, uh, brought up a second example, just, and this is more just theory crafting. This is just for fun. Sure. Um, but, uh, I had mentioned that, you know, uh, we had made this this wizard uh, a diviner. Yep. And uh, we'd said, you know, so the diviner rolls his his portent at the beginning of the day, and he got, you know, a 9 and 11, uh, which is not considered maybe your best roll, but I wanted to show that that could still be really useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so in, in the example, I said, well, the wizard could target... The death slad and, you know, with the polymorph and turn it into a slug. And, yep. uh, so the death slad gets its, its magic resistance on its saving throw, but it rolls and, but you use your portent and note your saving throw is a nine. And so it fails. Yeah. Right. So we'll see. Uh, 
yeah, and now it's a slug. And uh, so then you can take this slug, and you know, if we would said if you're in a dungeon, there's probably you know, if, if I've been through a lot of dungeons, there's always some horrible traps or lava pits or or uh, pools of acid or something. Mm-hmm. And the idea is you would toss the slug into one of these and throw a, you know, a, and then it would immediately turn back into the into the death slide, right? Mm-hmm. Once it takes the one hit point of damage or whatever. And then if the death slide tries to plane shift out of the, the pool, you would counterspell and then you would use your your rather important role, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're eleven. And that's that would be enough to automatically counterspell the plane shift. And then I said you could throw a wall of force over the top just to be sure so it can't get out. And eventually it dies, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so And then you could win technically all by yourself. But I don't recommend that style of play. Um, but I just wanted to throw out there that, there, you know, you could. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you there. I don't think the wizard should go around trying to make his friends feel useless. Um, I think that's counter to the spirit of the game. And it's also just an inefficient expenditure of resources. Um, as you mentioned, you've, you've been burning all your highest level spells, and you're also expending both uses of portent. It's just you're going to run dry really, really fast if you do that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you know, if, if you can win a, a fight with one spell, don't cast three. Right. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And, and also, uh, assuming you play with the same group all the time, I know... Um, I, I've, I've played with different people over the years, but the current group I've been playing with for some of them 20 years. And uh, I want to have fun. <laughs> and they want to have fun. And stealing stealing their fun uh, doesn't just... Why would you do that? I, I wouldn't even understand the point of role-playing if, if you're just going to go there and try to steal the limelight. Uh, you know, they call that power gaming. I, I'm not a fan of power gaming. Well, I, you know, I think there's a time and a place for it. Like in um, in Pathfinder, there was, a, I think, an ASMR favored class bonus for bards where they could get an additional bonus to their uh, bardic inspiration. And that's a really appropriate place, in my opinion, for power gaming because then you're giving that benefit to the rest of your party so they can be awesome. Well, I, I should, I should uh, define power gaming, I guess, is uh, I don't consider optimization and power gaming to be the same thing. Oh, all right. To me, optimization is making smart, effective choices with your character. Okay. To me, power gaming is the person who tries to dominate the action. Uh, right? Yeah. Uh, they're the, the, to, for, for me, a power gamer, and I've played with power gamers, uh, their chief goal is to be better than the rest of the party. Okay. Well, right? Yeah, yeah, they want to overshadow. Yeah. Well, now that we've clarified our definitions, I think I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the wizard is actually pretty awesome. Um, and I think this is another point that you and I had agreed on from the outset. Um, with the changes to the way that prepared casting works, they are so much more fun to play arguably than in previous editions because yeah well and and i didn't bring this up last time i don't think Mm -hmm. um but one thing i found happened a lot in previous editions too is and especially as the levels start to increase Mm -hmm. um there's all this beginning of the day bookkeeping where okay i'm casting 
greater magic weapon on your weapon and on your weapon on your weapon and and you know magic armor and magic armor and magic armor and you know uh persistent this and persistent that and Mm -hmm. and and it's it's a bookkeeping nightmare and it's a pain in the neck and now we don't have to do it great (laughs) great Yeah. yeah And you still ended up with the same number of spell slots left over once you were finished doing all these these buffs. And the one oh, day well, that you forgot... Sometimes not a whole lot. Sometimes right. you would have to rely on magic items after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, it's 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 a breeze. It's It feels good to just say, I want to be able to cast shield today, but I don't have to designate how many of my first level slots I'm going to apply oh, yeah. that. Oh, and yeah, prepared versus... Oh, uh, yeah, I had missed what you were talking about. That yeah. is... Essentially, um, yeah, in, in 3.5 mm-hmm. or, or in third edition, I guess, is where they really brought up, brought in uh, the sorcerer. Uh, in, in second edition, there was no such thing. Right. Um, and every every caster was always a prepared caster. The, the idea of spontaneous casting didn't exist in second edition. So in third edition, they brought in the idea of spontaneous casting, and clerics could do a little bit with healing spells. But uh, the big one was the sorcerer. And you'd pick a few spells, and you could cast whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. And so there was a constant debate which was better. Is prepared casting better or is spontaneous casting better? Mm-hmm. Because with prepared casting, there was so many more spells to choose from, but with spontaneous casting, you had what you wanted when you wanted it. And, and I, I kind of was on the fence, right? Uh, I, I, I liked the idea of spontaneous casting, didn't like the idea of having only a couple spells, mm-hmm. right? Um, and yeah, with 5th edition, you get the best of both worlds because essentially everyone's a spontaneous caster now. Uh, you know, you you select your prepared spells, but then you can cast them spontaneously. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, that it just opens all kinds of doors. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm still, like I mentioned, I'm still playing Pathfinder. I'm playing a, a witch in a, in a okay. campaign right now. And I was just playing last night, and I was just thinking that exact thing is, oh, damn, I prepared the wrong spell. <laughs> <laughs> or the right yeah. spell, but not enough times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, I needed a, a cure spell, and I hadn't, uh, you know, I had only prepared one, and I'd right. already used it. And, uh, you know, it, it was one of those situations where I looked at it and thought, you know, wow, I missed fifth edition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it really is. It just you feel like you can breathe. You know, I mean, I think rational minds could disagree about whether the sorcerer or the wizard was better in in three five and Pathfinder. I think the wizard was probably had a little bit of an edge. Um, but, you know, especially with the introduction of splat material, when you have all those spells to choose from, you can sometimes pick one spell. Yeah, I think jobs. I think the spell compendium in 3.5 ended it, ended that discussion. Right, because then right. the sorcerer could just pick a few choice spells, and that was yeah. all you needed. Yeah, um, and well, and there were so many spells um, that, you know, if you could have... Yeah, I, I think it ended the conversation when spell uh, compendium came out. It changed the game significantly. Right. Um maybe not, you know, we could argue whether for the better or not, because I mm-hmm. think too much splat can be a bad thing. But. Absolutely. Um, but here, it's, I think, you you said it perfectly last time, hands down, prepared casters are better, um, because they still have that element of spontaneity. 
Yeah, if if we're comparing wizards and and sorcerers now, mm-hmm. uh, now from that aspect, there's there's no comparison, right? The wizards just better. Yeah. Um, the, the the whole question now is whether that advantage outplays meta magic, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which is an entirely different conversation. But yeah, there's no question now. Prepared casting is just better. Yeah, That's fine. I, I, had, I had made the case that heighten. Uh, gave sorcerers an advantage, but you, you correctly pointed out that portent is more powerful, uh, so if your priority is just dictating that creatures fail their saves against your spells, then the wizard can still do it better. Yeah, and and and, and, uh, and just to, to clarify, of course you have to play, that's only for diviners, right? right. If you're playing a different wizard than a diviner, then, then your, you know, your saving throw uh, target doesn't matter. A sorcerer can beat you. Right. Uh, but if if that's what you want to do, and you choose Diviner, then yes. Yeah, and I mean, really, I think you've made the case pretty well that that shouldn't be what you should do, is, you know, constantly count on on enemies failing saves against you. Yeah, Just, well, yeah, and, and, I, and, I'm not, and I'm not saying don't put, don't take any of those spells. No. I, I'm just, yeah, I mean, go ahead, but yeah, if that, that shouldn't be your primary strategy, and even if I'm playing a Diviner, that isn't my primary strategy, right? right. Uh, it's it, it may be nice to have in the back pocket, absolutely. But I mean, often I'm probably using that portent for saving throw or <laughs> something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's a very versatile and powerful, you know, emergency panic button. Yeah. Oh, and, and portent is fun. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, it is it is fun to play portent. Uh, I'm I'm playing a wizard um, in a campaign right now, mm-hmm. uh, and. He's a he's a halfling, which is kind of an unoptimized choice, but I like halflings. Yeah. Um, and uh, and does the diviner? So you got the halfling luck, and then you got the portent, Ooh, and nice. and and then uh, you know I was I was just thinking about how far you could take that. Okay. And the lucky feet. <laughs> the, the 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 whole lucky. You could take the lucky feet. Uh-huh. You know, you could multi class and take the 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 wild. Magic sorcerer. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could really, you could, you could do stuff with that. Because it, I'll tell you what. Every time I use that portent, I smile. It's just fun. Uh huh. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. It, and to be able to just, like you said, you know, we don't really like rolling, and because you know you try to be awesome, and then you roll poorly, and instead of doing a backflip, you fall down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. And that's not a very gratifying feeling. But to be yeah. able to step in there with confidence and just say, no, this happens. It's it's a good feeling. Oh yeah, and and exactly. If if you don't like rolling, having an ability that removes rolls is is a good ability. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember in uh, the last campaign where I, I was that bard, um, we had gone to investigate something. I think we ended up at a brothel, and the doorman was giving us a hard time. And it came down to a confrontation, and I think a, a friendly wager. You know, if you can beat him, then such and such. And I think what we were level three at the time. So I had the spell sleep, and I knew this guy just, you know, didn't have that many hit points. And it's just, it was a calculated risk, but it was a pretty good bet because sleep is very powerful at low levels, and then it kind of wanes as you get higher level. But, I, you know, I think I ended up rolling like 7d8 or something, or 5d8 sleep damage, and I just knew that his hit points were not going to, to stand up to that. So I was no match for him with my rapier, but I just said sleep, and there's no saving throw. And down he went, and that was that. 
Yeah, first level sleep is amazing. Yeah, and it, and it, and yeah, you're right. The the power wanes, and it wanes reasonably fast. Yes. Uh, because but and and it has been pointed out to me that uh, you know, you can use it as a finisher, right? If something's just about down, you can use your sleep. Um, but I still don't think that's a particularly effective use yeah. of a first level spell. Um, it's it's got a time and a place. I mean. You know, if something's that far down, you probably don't need to go blowing your highest level slot to make sure that it falls asleep. It can be useful to um, stop, like, a wily opponent from running away. Um, but, again, as you get into the higher levels, you have better options. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if, if, if I'm, say, fifth level or higher, I'm not preparing sleep at all. It's right. just, you know, it gathers dust on the, in the spell book. Kind sure. Of thing. I mean, it's great to have in the, in the early game. But then I think its usefulness does wane considerably. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, I think I think we've pretty much covered everything we wanted to. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I'm. Let me go through. I have some notes. Let's see. Yeah, I think there were a couple of points you mentioned last time that we didn't get to today. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I had mentioned oh, the illusionist. Um, the illusionist. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We were talking about. That's right. I had brought up. Um, yeah, it's a big one. Yeah. Okay. So, you you had gone through the various when, when the player's handbook first came out. You went through the various classes, right? And and you kind of went through the features and and gave your initial opinions on each of them, right? And and I had listened to that podcast for the wizards, and uh, and I, I agreed with. Pretty much all the points you made, though I thought there were a couple things that deserve special mention, mm-hmm. and the one I specifically thought I thought important deserved uh, uh, just to be brought up that doesn't matter what you roll it's always good yeah <laughs> um, and, and then the other one I thought deserved some special mention was um, the, the illusionists get an ability and it's it's not till 14th level it's called illusory reality mm-hmm. and uh, anyone out there who's considering playing a wizard and thinks that their the level is going to go above that above 14th level, uh, should really consider uh, looking at Illusionist just for that ability because it is so so good. Um, the the ability what it does is when you cast an Illusion spell of first level or higher, um, you can use a bonus action to make one aspect of that Illusion real. And, and you guys had had talked about it in the podcast, and you, you know you kind of mentioned you can't use it to do damage to anybody, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so, you know, you can't make an illusion of a dragon and then make a real dragon. Um, right. but, but you could use it if you were making an illusion of a bridge to make a real bridge. Uh, and I just wanted to bring up the combat application of that, as far as I'm concerned, is if you're at 14th level, you're probably at the level where wall spells have become really good, right? Mm-hmm. Wall of Force is a game changer at that level. Uh, or Wall of Stone. Uh, and with illusory reality, you can use your first level spells um, to create walls that don't require concentration. Uh, so I can cast Silent Image mm-hmm. at first with a first level slot uh, to create a wall separating the enemies, dividing them up. Uh, you can make it steel if you want, and then use your bonus action to make it real, and then it's real for a minute, and then. I can just drop my concentration and I've got this wall that's real for a minute 
without concentration with a first level spell and that is that's huge like if if you like battlefield control um that is i'd say the ultimate wizard ability uh and i brought up a uh somebody had mentioned to me that it the way i had read it and you guys agreed is that it can be done once per spell uh, and there, there was some question as to whether it was once per spell or once per round. Uh, and, and I should mention that that has been clarified by Jeremy Crawford since our last conversation. And it's once per spell. Okay. So Good. I won't even bring up the other example. Yeah. yeah. Um, one thing I think to, to really demonstrate just how good um, the illusory reality is with those low-level slots to create walls is if you look through um, – the PHB, and you just comb through every single option that allows you to restore spell slots, either through uh, the Sorcerer's Flexible Casting, or um, Warlock's Short Rest Spell Slots, or Arcane Recovery for the Wizard, or Natural Recovery for the Druid. None of them will give you the ability to um, restore spell slots of higher than 5th level. right? But a lot of these right. really powerful wall spells that you can cast are 6th level or higher. And, right. Yeah. And the ability yeah. to use a first level slot to get jo- uh, done the job of a sixth or higher level spell is just incredibly potent. Uh, uh, yeah, and I hadn't even really, you know, I mean, I I know to some reason to some extent that for, but that's a good point. Is with the arcane recovery, you can get so many first level spells back if you're high level. Like, yeah. A lot of them. So yeah. yeah, yeah, you can you can cast wall spells all day and all night. Yeah, it's really quite powerful yeah. uh, just with that use alone mm-hmm. and you know like arcane recovery it's it's normally it's a very well balanced ability it either lets you get like one or two moderately strong spells back or it lets you cast shield pretty regularly without having to worry about whether or not you're going to run out um, but this just you can leverage it for so much more actual you know work that you can get done as as an illusionist so yeah it's a stellar ability um, I think even in the I forget, I always get the 18th and the 20th level wizard powers mixed up. There's one that gives you a first level and a second level spell slot, uh, or spell, usable at will. So, you mm. could get some... I, 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 yeah, I, I can't recall off the top of my head. Uh, we could look it up. I've never, I will never ever play an 18th level wizard, so it probably right. doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this is again, treading into the realm of theory crafting. Yeah. Um, I think the 20th level power is the one where you get a third level spell or two of them as uh, short rest spells and you don't need to prepare them. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. I mean, and, yeah. And that's something that comes up on the forums all the time is uh, whatever the class is and, and whatever the system you're playing, there's always people who come on and say, you know, I don't like this class. A terrible capstone. Yeah, and right? <laughs> and I'm like, who's playing 20th level, you know, classes? You know, I, I, I have never played a 20th level character. Uh, yeah. You know, in twenty some or thirty some years of role playing, I've never <laughs> played twentieth level character. I don't think I ever will. Um, it, it, you know, it, game tends to book. now. I don't know about fifth edition, but I know other D and D editions have certainly bogged down when you get to higher level. Yeah, uh, it, you know, the, the each combat starts to become a, just a, a slog of you know abilities and all this. And I would think fifth edition would be maybe to a lesser extent, but the same mm-hmm. because every, everybody's still getting abilities as they go up levels and uh-huh. you know it's just it, it I, I find the game works really well at mid level uh, right. and and low level you're you're waiting for mid level 
And then once you're mid-level, once it gets a little too high, then then you start to notice, oh, it's, this is getting a little bit... <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, just look at a fighter who, with Action Surge and any of a slew of abilities that can give him a bonus attack, he can make nine attacks in one round. <laughs> nine attacks. You know, plus a reaction, like an, an yeah. opportunity attack. So, I mean, you're going to spend half an hour just on the fighter's turn, you know, resolving all of those attacks, moving in between them. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's only if he's just... Attack, 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 you know, the, right. he has a, other special abilities that he's throwing in, right? You got right. battle masters doing trips and all uh-huh. that kind of stuff. And the Eldritch Knights doing arcane charges and yeah. throwing their weapon and then calling it back to them. and Just all kinds of nonsense. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've only played a 20th level character once, and it was because we had a, a one-night-only battle royale. Uh, between five players, all level 20, with a million gold piece budget in 3-5. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, but, you know, but I've never played a 20th level character in actual, like, in an actual campaign, an ongoing game. I, I got to 18th level once, in, in, and that was in 3.5 or 3rd. I, okay. I, I think it was I think it was 3rd we were playing, and, uh, and I was playing a wizard. And uh, yeah, it, it got pretty bogged down. <laughs> we were yeah. we were glad we wanted to finish the campaign because you know the, mm-hmm. the DM had written his own story and it was mm-hmm. a good story and but but we were glad it was over. <laughs> yeah. It was done because it was getting. Crazy. Yeah, I found it it actually to be kind of ridiculous. It was it was almost like playing. Um, I don't know if you've ever played Magic: The Gathering, but you uh, know I I I was just mentioning yesterday to one of my friends that I have never actually played Magic: The Gathering. Oh, well, I should, because I bet you I'd like it. But. <laughs> Probably. Um, I was going to say, it It felt a little bit like playing against somebody with a blue deck, where everything you do, they play a counter spell. Then you counter their counter, then they counter your counter. And it just it gets ridiculous <laughs> when you get into the high levels. Because, um, you know, with that 20th level uh, Battle Royale, I was a sorcerer. Um, and I had Rings of Wizardry, 4th level, and I was doing all kinds of crazy shenanigans with Enervate and um, Assay Resistance. Oh yes, I remember a save resistance. Yeah, yeah, really uh, broken spell. It, it, there were there were it was again that spell compendium just yep. broke the game. Uh, oh yeah, and and yeah, that was that was one of the offenders. It was uh-huh. you know CSR no longer exists. <laughs> right, I think we might have even had some stuff from Pathfinder with like Thanatopic spell or Thranotic spell where you could make Enervate work against Undead or... <laughs> yeah. yeah, ridiculous stuff. Needless to say, I won. Well, and, um, and, and 3.5, you, you wouldn't just cast Enervate. You could turn it into, like, five different rays and yeah, well, <laughs> that's, and all this stuff. You could just... Oh, yeah. Crazy. I, tw- I twinned it. I maximized it. Yeah. I empowered it. I did all that stuff. I think I had Arcane Thesis and just all the, the shenanigans you could get into once enough splat material is out. It was, a lot. It was a lot, yeah. It was a lot. Um, but it just, it got to the point where like, it almost wasn't even fun. Um, because everything that you could do had, you know, 12 different counters and you had to remember all of your counters and it, it got bogged down. Yeah. I I mean, I think I would probably enjoy it for a one night, just fun thing. But yeah, when you, when that's, you just, you're, you want, there's a story to be told. Absolutely. And, and, and each combat is taking two hours. Um, yeah, I think it gets in the way. Absolutely. I mean, we talk a lot about combat, but that's really not the point of D&D. And no, I, I, it's part of it. Yeah, I yeah. mean, in the end, if, if there was no combat in D&D, you wouldn't need rules, right? Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. the, rules, the rules are largely 
for the combat. And and so it's it's an important part of the game. But yeah, it's you know if you're just playing combat, then there's no point in role playing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, just go play Halo. Or or, or or if you want if you want to get together with friends, play Warhammer. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. And I uh, hope we'll, we'll talk again soon. Uh, you bet.